you know, it is perfectly fine to be unapologetic about the path you want to create for yourself. Mm -hmm. And no one else has to understand it. No one else has to approve it. You just have to make the decision that's best for your professional journey. I'm Lois Jeffers, and this is Lead with Lois, a podcast all about leadership. In each episode, I examine what it means to lead yourself and others effectively. Over the years, my personal and work experience have taught me that self-leadership is integral to career fulfillment, transformational organizational leadership, and driving equity and inclusion in the workplace. In short, to be a great leader, you have to start by leading yourself. Join me as I explore the power of self-leadership, and together, we'll learn how to unlock and maximize our leadership potential. everyone. Welcome back to Lead with Lois. I'm excited to introduce a new interview series on the topic of career reinvention. In prior episodes, I shared a little bit about how I pivoted in my career and how practicing self-leadership was really integral to my decision-making and the steps that I took to land a career that was better aligned to my values and interests. At some point, I'll share a little bit more about the story, but in the meantime, I thought it would be great to talk to different folks about their career reinvention journeys. In each interview, my guests will share how different components of self-leadership, which you may recall are self-awareness, self-efficacy, self-motivation, and self-resilience, played a role in helping them achieve their career goals and ultimately enhancing their ability to lead others more effectively. In this episode, we'll be focusing on self-awareness and career reinvention. So according to Daniel Goleman, self-awareness is the ability to understand your own emotions and their effects on your performance. But in the context of self-leadership, building self-awareness really involves discovering your personal values, clarifying your personal vision, and identifying your strengths and weaknesses. So when we think about making the decision to pivot in our careers and following through with that decision, all of these things have to happen in some way, shape, or form. So first up in this series is my good friend, Kelly Doss. Hey, Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lois, how you doing? I'm doing well. How's your weekend? It is a weekend. It is a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's a going weekend. pretty good, though. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this. I'm excited for our conversation today. So Kelly, when I thought about this topic and reflected on your career journey, I thought you'd be perfect. You've had a really interesting career and made pivots at really a lot of different points in your career. So I thought it'd be helpful for our audience to learn about your journey and how self-awareness played a part in your decisions. Uh, but before I share a little bit about your background, um, so I just want to say a little bit about how Kelly and I know each other. Uh, Kelly, I don't know if you realize this, but we've known each other for over 10 years. And when I realized that, I was kind of That's like crazy. shocked. <laughs> I'm like, has it really been that long? I literally went back. Yeah, to, it's been that long. Yeah. I went back to my inbox to try to find like the first email communication. <laughs> and I was like, dang, <laughs> it's been 10 years. Um, so Kelly and I actually first met uh, in Brooklyn, in New York City, uh, we both participated in an outdoor boot camp in Fort Greene Park. I don't even remember how I found out about that boot camp. Kelly, how did you remember? 
God, I don't even know. I feel like, I don't know if I saw a flyer. I don't know if it was like, I have no idea, but I, I just ended up there. But I guess we all, you know, and from that boot camp, a bunch of us became friends. So it just was meant to be. But I, honestly, I think it was like a flyer somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I just remember probably at the time thinking I need to get in shape. And the boot camp was in walking distance from my apartment. But yes. it was like, it was just a really great experience because like you said, just a bunch of us just became friends. And honestly, it was because of that friendship and because of all, all of you that motivated me, motivated me to keep going or else I probably wouldn't have gone because it was mm-hmm. in the morning, early in the morning. Yes. Yes. And we would run up and down Listen. a million stairs. Listen. Um, I think you and I were the laziest two <laughs> people in the group. <laughs> We were our face. I just vividly remember our facial expressions. Like every time yep. I request to run up those darn stairs in Fort Green Park. And then I recall running through the park in the rain. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It, was it was madness. 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 But um, even though it's madness, it was just such a great experience. And so glad that you're in my life. Uh, we've celebrated birthdays together traveled uh, and I'm just looking forward to continuing, you know, to build and and grow our friendship. So now that we got the Mm -hmm. little chit chat out the way, (laughs) let me tell (laughs) y'all about Kelly. Kelly is bad. (laughs) So Kelly is currently the chief talent and equity officer at iMentor where she leads, and I'm gonna read this, uh, where she leads the organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion work and develops organizational strategy focused on performance management, internal talent recruitment, and culture building. Kelly is also an executive coach, and her practice is focused on leadership coaching uh, with an equity, diversity, and inclusion lens. And she specifically focuses uh, her work with nonprofit and education leaders of color. Uh, So Kelly is just doing all of the things (laughs) and is too much, but like a lot of good stuff. Um, So I thought it would be great for you. Actually, before we go that, I do want to just give a shout out to iMentor. Um, For those of you who are not familiar with iMentor, it's a nonprofit organization that's focused on helping high school students navigate their journey through college graduation. I volunteered with iMentor in 2017, and it was an amazing experience very uh, rigorous uh, recruitment process and application tours. And the program management is just like top notch. Uh, It was just a wonderful experience. I just wanted to shout out iMentor. And I know that you've been doing such great work with the org. Um, So Kelly, you've been in this role for about seven years, Mm -hmm. but you also have a law degree. (laughs) Yes. And following law school, you clerked for a few years before sort of moving into the nonprofit space. That's right. That's right. It was interesting because I would say that coming out of law school, I would even say going into law school, I wasn't sure if the actual practice of law was something that I wanted to do. But back in the day, because that was like late, you know, 80s, early 90s, like going from college to law school, that was back in the day when people were like, okay, you basically, if you study it, you do it. Mm. Like there was not a lot of people weren't talking about like transferable skills and alternate pathways. No, you go to law school, you're going to be a lawyer. You, you know, go with, you know, 
study policy, you need to do X, Y, Z. So that was very, you know, that was kind of designed to be a clear cut path, but it was one that I struggled with because coming out of undergrad, I had a sociology degree. I was like, well, I'm not going to be a sociologist, but I also didn't know what else to do with it. So law school made sense. Uh And um, I will say that, again, during that time, during law school, I was never, I don't feel like I ever really thought of myself as being a lawyer. Uh, My classmates were very much, everybody was trying to get that big law firm job. I knew if I practiced anything, it would probably be more like, you know, public sector, like I'd be a, a county attorney or a public defender or something like that. But it just wasn't, it wasn't there. Like there was always something missing. So when I graduated, I had the opportunity to work like, a judge who really became my mentor and she really took me under her wing and she was the first person who sat me down and just was like okay what is it that you really want to do and my answer was not this like this isn't (laughs) it you know (laughs) like this isn't it and she really pushed me to start exploring and thinking about what do I care about? Mm. And it was interesting because she was a judge who cared about other things because she had a lot of side things going and, you know, she cared about like international stuff and, you know, she was also a, a district court judge. So, you know, she was a real interesting example to me mm. of like, there's sort of your passion, there's your job. And if you're lucky, you can find where those things intersect. And so she made an introduction for me to the Children's Defense Fund, who they had an office. I was living in Minneapolis at the time, and they had an office there. And the interesting thing is that I had always wanted to work for the Children's Defense Fund. Like that was when I was in law school, I wanted to work for children. So I would write them letters and say, hey, can I come work for you? And they would probably reject me. And I you know, was like, all right, but you can't, it's almost like you can't say no forever. Like somehow, some way I'm going to end up there. And um, yeah, she happened to know the woman who was running it in Minneapolis, running the office in Minneapolis. And she allowed me to both, my judge allowed me to work in the court and uh, one day a week, go spend time at the Children's Defense Fund office. And when they had money and they had like this new position opening up, they asked me if I wanted to be a part of it. And I was like, absolutely. And that sort of kicked off the journey. And mind you, when I got the job, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I had no idea. I was, I'm a trained, you know, I'm in court writing, like, you know, uh, writing orders and things like that for her. And they were like, yeah, we need to, we need you to go out here and help us create partnerships. And we want to do this program, this, you know, summer academic enrichment program and teach kids about advocacy. And I was like, sure, I can do that. Didn't know a thing. Didn't know a thing. Didn't really know anybody. Didn't know how to leverage networks. But like most of us coming out of law school, we're like, I can learn it. (laughs) You know, you can't, if you put anything in front of me. I'll research it, I'll learn it, mm-hmm. and I'll do it. And so that sort of kicked everything off for me. Yeah, that's such an interesting um, story, this idea of this mentor who uh, actually sort of opened your eyes up. You always had a sense that this wasn't for you, which I think is sometimes, yeah. for many of us, that's the case. You have that this like thought in the back of your head or this 
feeling in the pit of your stomach that what you're doing is not the right thing. Um, yeah. Sometimes you need someone to uh, just sort of like open a door for you. So I'd like to talk a little bit about um, sort of this idea of, you know, it's not for you, but you still go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think about my own um, path. Uh, I also went to law school, uh, hated law school to a degree that I just did not expect. Yeah. And I knew, I knew it wasn't for me, but because I had told everyone that this is what I wanted to do, I kept going, even though it wasn't for Mm -hmm. me. So as you think about what made you sort of stick with law school and and going into this position as a law clerk, even though you had that feeling that it wasn't for you? Yeah. So similarly, I hated law school. I think I hated it so much that I literally practically can't tell you anything that happened during it. Like I've literally blocked those three years out. So yeah, it's real. And so, but you start down that path and you feel like you can't get off of it. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've come this far. There's a lot of sort of like self kind of limiting thoughts as well. Like, okay, if I, you know, what am I going to do with one year of law school or two years of law school? And then once you get by the second year, you're like, I might as well finish. Yeah. Get the fact that like, yeah, I, I had, you know, scholarships to go to law school, but I also had loans. Like you didn't offset, I still loans, but you just like my mother, my father were like excited because there was going to be another lawyer in the fact because my brother is a lawyer. So he's, he was successful. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm on this hamster wheel and I can't get off. And, um, and the hope was, but I'll learn to like it. Yeah. Like actually when you move into the work, it'll be different than law school. I'll learn to like it and I'll, you know, really build that muscle. And I built the muscle with regard to some of it was like the skill sets, but never built the passion. And so I just, and I think that also I'm, I'm, even as a kid, I was just one of those folks who did something slightly different, right? I would always kind of, everybody is going straight and I'd kind of verve a little bit, maybe come back around. But so, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was overly surprising to my parents when I was like, Hey, I hate this and I think I'm going to do something else. Of course, they couldn't imagine what else I would do. But I, you know, I think it was like, okay, here, here we go. Like we knew this was going to, you know, we knew this was going to happen, right? It was something in my very nature. I was the kid who wanted to take like tap dancing lessons. And the minute I got my shoes, I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't do this anymore. Like, you know, it's that kind of thing. And so this you're talking about your life you know you're talking about you know I've seen like I had you know my father's career career military and then left the military with the rest of his career at General Motors and so the examples in front of me were also people who were like they went they did something and they did it they rode it till the wheels went off and that fell off and then um you know you retire and you live a respectable life. And I was just like, I can't see myself doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, 
hated court. I, you know, I didn't like any, I didn't like any of it. And so um, it was, yeah, it was, I, I knew I had to be true to myself, but finding out what that path was, was what was going to be like really difficult, you know? And um, again, thank God for my judge. Cause she absolutely saw it, pushed me mm-hmm. and it was very clear. She was like, you know, you could do this work and be great at it. But if it's not what you love, if you don't want to do this, if it doesn't bring you any kind of real happiness, then what are you doing? Yeah. And and that's just such an important, um, uh, important um, recognition, right? Of heart and what you want. So you had a really heightened self, heightened self-awareness through this journey, but you wasn't, you weren't necessarily clear on what the path would look like. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Hey y'all, I hope you're enjoying the content so far. I want to take a moment to introduce you to my executive coaching practice, Lois Jeffers Executive Coaching. As a coach, I work one-on-one with professionals seeking clarity and direction in their career and with professionals who want to build more inclusive and equitable workplaces. I know that choosing a coach is a very personal decision, but with over 15 years experience in coaching, consulting, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as organizational psychology, I can confidently say I know what I'm doing. But more importantly, I want to help you figure out what you're doing. What does it look like to work with me? It's a non-judgmental, reflective, and action-oriented journey grounded in evidence-based practices. So if you're seeking to drive change in your career and workplace, go to www.loisjeffers.com and book your free discovery call with me today. transition from uh, working as a law clerk to the Children's Defense Fund. This is probably, I imagine, where you began to think about, well, what does this path look like for me in this space? Um, Right. So maybe if we can just touch on how did you begin to uncover that path? Yeah. Um, So much of, it's funny because I think that so much of figuring out your path, or at least for me, figuring out my path really was, there's this really strong connection to just feeling satisfied and joyful in the work. Mm. And joyful in the work doesn't always mean having fun at work. It's not perfect, but it's finding like the joy, the motivation, the thing that makes you want to get up and go to work in the morning. and not necessarily get up, want to go every day, but like, you know, but, but want, but know that like you have a purpose in that work. Yeah. And so when I was working, when I started working in Children's Defense Fund, you know, I was working with kids, right. And it, it was, uh, and there was also a lot of cross-generational like leadership development and, you know, advocacy kissy work while kids were learning like you know sort of refining academic skills specifically around reading um learning about grassroots organizing like it was literally like a door opened up to so many things uh through that work 
And so it, I was doing, um, they had a program at the time called the Black Community Crusade for Children. And within that was the Black Student Leadership Network. And I was originally a part of the Black Student Leadership Network, where we really worked with like college students and, you know, kids from literally, honestly, it was like kids from uh, grade school through college where we were just really working on this kind of like empowerment and finding helping them find their voices and so it just felt like such a natural and right thing like I was like okay these are these are my people like this is my work and it was also during a time where you know being new into this field being introduced I was having to learn my own voice too And so it felt like a lot of like collective, you know, collaborative learning that was happening. So I'm learning to be a leader while I'm creating the circumstances through this program for other people to learn leadership. And it just felt like so right, you know? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you found your purpose Um, and the words that sort of stuck out to me when I think about, um, uh, your path, particularly around values, uh, mm-hmm. joy, uh, motivation, purpose, uh, really finding work that aligned to those values. Um, yeah. This idea of this nexus between your de- developing your leadership skills, but also uh, creating sort of uh, leadership opportunities for kids, which I think is such an uh, amazing um, opportunity to be able to find that nexus. Um, so you were at Children's Defense Fund for how many years? Oh, Lord, I feel like I was there probably like four or five years. Four or five maybe. years. And then what did yeah. you, after that role, what did you do next? I think you might have gone to the National Black uh, Child Institute or Education. Yep, yep. Okay. National Black Child Development Institute. I worked there for a little while because I wanted to make my way out of Minneapolis to the back to DC. Got it. So, you know, after being at Howard, DC felt like second home after Louisiana, which where I'm originally from. So DC was just a place where I felt like I it was it felt like it would be my next stage, right? I Got and it. and I was turning 30 at the time. And so for me, being 30, turning 30 was like a really critical point because I, again, I knew there was something, there was more that I wanted to do. Like, how was I going to keep on this path? Mm-hmm. You know? And again, wanted to move to DC, wanted to just be closer to people who were like my community. And I had a community in, in DC. And so I went there and yeah, I worked at the National Black Child Development Institute. I didn't stay there that long because it was it was another, the work there was good and interesting because I ran another mm-hmm. sort of mentoring program, cross-generational mentoring program that was really about college graduates being mentored by professionals who were in similar fields that in kind of, and, and those fields were actually around uh, early childhood. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a very specific like, you know, type of uh, mentoring program, but it was also work that was just really interesting. And yet it was under sort of really challenging circumstances. I think the lesson that I take from that is there's, there may be moments where you love the work, but the environment is not where you need to be. Mm. 
And can you be okay with that? You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, it, it's, it's like, how do you, because where you do the work is just as important as the work that you do. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I knew I learned a lot there around just what, what is it that, what is the environment that I thrive in? And it had to be like, you know, really supportive, really like-minded individuals, um, that mattered, you know what I mean? Just having that, that kind of environment was really important. And so I, although I'm, I'm proud of the work that I did there, it just was a, it was a, it was a moment and yet it was a really pivotal learning moment for me. Yeah. I think that you speak to such an important point. I think every opportunity role that we have there is an opportunity for learning and and further clarifying, right? Um, Ultimately, Mm -hmm. the work that we want to do, but also the environment that we want to be in. Um, I know many of us, (laughs) we take roles on and we, we, you know, apply for positions because of a title or the the Mm -hmm. job description without sometimes doing that, um, that discovery around, is this the environment that's going to help me to your point, thrive um, and do the work that I want to do, but with people that uh, are supportive and collaborative or whatever is important to you. So I just wanted to call that out. So um, understanding that you learned this specific lesson in this role, how did you use that lesson or your learnings from this opportunity to identify your next role? Yeah. Um, well, I knew I had to leave. <laughs> you know, I knew I had to leave. And so um, it, I just wasn't willing to stay somewhere any longer than I had to. And so, or needed to. And, and luckily, you know, I ended, I just started looking and ended up connecting with um, someone who I worked with at Children's Defense Fund, and they told me about a job in New York that they thought would bring kind of, you know, my kind of like court work and, you know, like the justice pieces, as well as like the education pieces. And so it was like, okay, I never thought, and honestly, I never, I was like, I'm moving to New York City. I couldn't believe it because that was never, I wasn't one of those people who thought I would ever be in New York. I thought New York was too big for me. Um, But the work work seemed right and I was open. You know what I mean? I just, I was, I was scared, but I was open. And so I, I jumped in like with both feet and found like a job that I truly, truly loved and really enjoyed with the um, with the court. Was this at uh, Harlem Community Justice Center? Yep, yep, the Harlem Community Justice Center, um, where I got to run the Youth Justice Project, which started with my, I started running the mentoring program, but had mm-hmm. a collection of folks who were doing, we were working with kids who, um, you know, were either like, truant or like really small sort of like small crimes and misdemeanors or things like you know crimes against like community like graffiti and things like that so it was really focused on restorative justice Mm -hmm. and I you know went in and found you know some colleagues 
who were so unbelievably incredible and we were just absolutely aligned. And again, it was work that I was so passionate about. And we ran like a youth peer court and a community service program and all these things. And it was just amazing. But to be able to do it in a place with people who became like my friends, you know, they're like, some of them are like family to me. And, um, and kids who, to this day, like I hold so near and dear in my heart. And so that was absolutely like the, the pinnacle of like, oh, my passion and my, you know, and my, my yeah. background and my passion just coming together. And so I loved working there and it was hard, right? Like mm-hmm. you work with kids, it, it is absolutely hard, but, um, but I loved it. I loved it for, you know, all the years I was there. It was, re- it's a really special moment for me professionally. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice, <laughs> the excitement. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I love those kids. So yeah. you also had like a, a pretty long stint at uh, Education Pioneers. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit around uh, what you did in that role and then also really linking it to how you in that role or in the roles that you held mm-hmm. at that organization were really uh, beginning to refine your own leadership style, your leadership skills. Yeah. So, you know, when I went to Education Pioneers, it was, it felt like it was really the right time for yeah. me, right? Like, oh, like between obviously working at, at the Harlem Community Justice Center and Education Pioneers, there were, you know, a number of other jobs. And with each job, it felt like I was professionally evolving. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize is I was also personally evolving, mm. right? There was just a change in my leadership, a change in like the the strength that I could find in my own voice. And I started to, I was starting to put the pieces together around if my career or my life was like a jigsaw puzzle, the pieces were starting to finally come together, right? Mm-hmm. I was, I was finding the theme and at, at Pioneer is where we ran um, education-focused fellowship, and it was really designed for people who were in graduate school who were interested in using their experiences or using, like, their education in education. And so it wasn't just, like, teachers. It wasn't just, like, people who were getting um, you know, getting a degree in education. It was like people who were getting degrees in finance, law students, PhD students, et cetera, policy. And we would place them with organizations and with like the district and anybody who was like education focused. And my first few years there, I ran the New York City region of the program. And what and what it meant to me was being able to like, I saw myself in these fellows, mm. right? I felt like, I was like, oh, I was an education pioneer before there was education pioneers because this was like, this was my path. Yeah. And I could like sit in the seat, not just as like a mentor, but as a guide mm-hmm. and, you know, and a guide and a coach to these young folks who were really interested in like using their skill set so that they could have a greater impact on education. And so, um, yeah, it was, I loved running the fellowship. 
I loved having those relationships with fellows. I shared a lot of my own experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned a lot about just more deeply about how do you help someone make that connection for themselves? Yeah. Like there's so many opportunities out there, but like, are you a district person versus a small nonprofit person versus uh, should you be in schools and like really being able to take full inventory of what's important to you, what matters and what you don't want to do is obviously as important as what you want to do. And so I spent hours coaching fellows and talking to them about just really honing into what was important to them and just also their kind of the kind of roadmap that they wanted for their own future. Yeah, that's so amazing, Kelly, because what it makes me think, um, just reflecting on our conversation is you talk mm -hmm. about how you went about clarifying your vision and understanding uh, what right. was right for you. You were able to leverage that experience to help the students uh, that you were working with. Um, mm -hmm. And I also just want to circle back to something you mentioned around personal leadership and how in this role you were able to um, really enhance personal leadership. You know, when I think about leadership, we often think about leadership from the role of from the perspective of how do we lead others effectively <laughs> and which, of yeah. course, we we. We, we want to be able to lead others effectively, but I've seen, you know, a couple of uh, articles and research around this idea of in order to lead others effectively, we have to be able to lead ourselves. And that's really about personal leadership. And so if you can speak a little bit about what does personal leadership look like for you? Um, how have you developed it um, throughout your career? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll start with how I developed it because I don't I don't really think of it. The word develop always trips me up yeah, because yeah. I feel like for me, you know, and maybe this isn't for everyone, but for me personally, it has been such an evolution. Like mm -hmm. it's it's really kind of just happened. Something yeah. in some ways it's happened and shifted without me even knowing until I take a step back and like really reflect, right? And I've tried to add you know, moments of self-reflection now as a practice for myself. So I can just, you know, be clear about where I am now versus where I was a year ago or five years ago, et cetera. Right. So again, I, I feel like so much of this is just like the pursuit of what is going to bring me joy yeah. and make me feel fulfilled and allow me to have an impact mm -hmm. because having an impact is, as important to me in many ways as being compensated for my work. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I've obviously, like most people, I've read a million books on leadership. I've sat in a million seminars. Mm -hmm. I've done all of those things, but none of those things ever truly stuck with me. Like the process of, self-reflection right like yeah. it's, it's just it's you even though you can learn from other people's stories um and I do learn from other people's stories but I think the greatest lessons have been in my own story I just have had to take a step back and like really focus on it so the kind of leader I try to be is you know I, I try to be an empathetic leader mm -hmm. I try to be 
I try to lead with as much authenticity as possible. Mm-hmm. I try to be clear about where my boundaries are and understand when I also need to flex those a little bit, right? Obviously, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging are at the core of my practice. And I realized over time, it always has been. Mm-hmm. And what I want to be is a person and a leader who knows when I need to follow and when, as much as when I need to lead. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you you sharing that when you need to follow and when you need to lead. I think it's a lesson that uh, many of us <laughs> uh, really need to <laughs> take stock in. Um, this this piece around self-reflection, is that something that you do regularly? Do you set aside time during the year, at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year? Because I, I think it's so integral to, to leadership overall, and it's really hard to do it. <laughs> it's so hard to do it. Um, you know, it's not, I don't know that I can say like, oh, it's the beginning of every year. I sit down and I think about, et cetera. Now, obviously this past year, Mm. I've had lots of time to reflect, Mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and I've learned even a lot about myself this year, but it it is something that, you know, I I will say maybe probably around like birthdays or during those, you know, especially during birthdays, right? I is around the time where I'm like, okay, let me sit back and take stock. But there've also been moments like, you know, we all have that thing that has happened at work where we're like, okay, you know what? I got to do something different. Yes. And when I have those moments, I take a step back and I try to figure out, is this a reaction or is this like real? Like, is it, is it, is it just that thing? Like I've had a bad day and I'm like, I'm going to quit tomorrow. And then I come back and, you know, we do what we do, right. And keep working. Or is it the moment that is really that turning point for me where it's time to pivot. And it's, it's helpful to not be afraid to ask yourself those questions, right? Cause there is no wrong, que- there is no wrong answer. Like if it is a moment, a reactionary moment, that's cool. If we're all human, that happens, right? We all have had that moment. But if it's that time to pivot, then you got to kind of like lean into that feeling. It's real. And so don't ignore it. Make a plan. Like, what are you going to do about it? Paying attention to those micro moments that come up in our day to day. Kelly, I can't tell you how much that speaks to me. I mean, when I think about my career, Uh, There have been moments that I ignored, you know, you have that feeling that something isn't right or something's happened or you've had an interaction with someone where you're like, "Mm, maybe this isn't for me or maybe I need to do something different. I've ignored them. But I will tell you the moments, the times when I have paid attention to those moments and to your point, just step back and ask myself, okay, what are are you doing? Is this really what you want to do? And if not, how are you going to go about it? I think it's made such a huge difference in um, how I've gone about my career pivots. Uh, so I think it's, it's a, a really important piece of advice that um, as folks are thinking about their career and pivoting and transitioning uh, to different, whether it's a different industry or even a different role in their, uh, mm-hmm. their uh, uh, organizations that we really have to pay attention to those moments. Um, 
I do want to circle back to your commentary around equity and how it's Mm -hmm. been a common thread throughout your careers, even though you may not have known it at the time. I think it's such, it's an interesting piece given the work that you're doing now. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk to me about this passion for equity work and how it sort of uh, impacted you as a leader uh, and uh, the role that you are uh, currently in. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, when I, it's funny when, as my work, current work started to take more and more focus on explicit focus around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, um, there was a moment where I was like, okay, well, who am I? Like, I'm not an expert. Mm. I'm just a black person. Like, you know what I mean? I'm a black woman. And I don't, those experiences, obviously my experience as a black woman has shaped me. Right. And, and, but am I an expert in this because of that? Does that make me an expert? And a lot of times when you look at organizations and you look at their, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion team, it is, it's a lot of people of color, right? And there's, you know, there's, that's a whole other conversation about, you know, is like, there's value there. And is it fair to always put that work on people of color, like without, you know, if honestly, if if corporations and, and organizations fit is devoted as much commitment to putting people of color in other leadership positions as they do putting them into DEI or HR or talent roles, you know, and that's, you know, obviously I am a talent and equity person, but it is something it's, that's a conversation, but I'm um, over here, <laughs> <laughs> but in that sort of taking a step back, cause it is, it's daunting. Like it's a daunting responsibility. I sat back and I was like, okay, what, what makes me qualified to do this? Like, where is it? Where am I not seeing something? And then I took a step back and looked at like, look, every bit of work that I've ever done was at the theme of that, at at the heart of that was, you know, equity work is about elevating the needs and the voices of the people who are the most marginalized in the communities that are the most marginalized. Like that was it. And that was also the work that I was most passionate about, right? Like I just, you know, even when I was doing an education pioneers fellowship, the fellows who I think I connected most deeply with, quite frankly, were like the the black and brown fellows or the fellows of color, because I knew what they were going to have to navigate once they got into yeah. the organizations or into like, you know, the district or whatever, into these institutions. And as I, yeah, I spent so much time professionally really focused on that level of like, how do you empower people? And then how do you address the systems and the policies and the practices and the practices that, you know, are, um, you know, just creating barrier after barrier after barrier, right? Like the opportunity gap and all of those things, like that was at the heart of all of my work. Yeah. And it was the heart of the organization, of the organizations that I worked for. And so it was like, okay, I, this is clear. Like the theme again, over time, the vision just became more clear. The vision I had for myself and the vision of myself became much clearer. And so 
um, yeah, doing this equity work is it's some of the most important work I've done. It's also the hardest work that yeah. I've done and challenged me in different ways, but it's all been good. It, yeah. It's all been good because it really has been about um, not just molding who I am as a professional, but again, molding who I am as a person. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I really see your role as a culmination of, of your, you know, your life's work, right? All of yeah. the roles that you've you've held um, just really uh, helps you to get to this this current role. And yeah, the work is hard, but you know, similarly, Kelly, you know, I remember asking myself uh, if whether I should do DI work. <laughs> Um, yeah, particularly also because I felt like, you know, black women are always doing this work and yeah. but had a sort of similar um, understanding that my experiences are important. There needs to be this voice. And if not That's me, right. who? Uh, yeah. So it's it's hard work, but it is certainly fulfilling. Um, I, I do want to we're sort of coming to the end of the podcast or the mm -hmm. interview. Um, I do want to just ask maybe two final questions. Uh, the first sure. around, um, if you were to give advice to your law school self, <laughs> what advice would, sitting where you are today with all of your accomplishments and achievements and uh, the sort of really high level of self-awareness around your vision and your path for your life, what would you tell your law school self knowing what you know today? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I wouldn't tell her to quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't tell her to quit. But what I would say is that, you know, it is perfectly fine to be unapologetic about the path you want to create for yourself. Mm -hmm. And no one else has to understand it. No one else has to approve it you just have to make the decision that's best for your professional journey. And there are going to be a lot of bumps along the way. Just ride it out. Yeah. Ride it out. You have everything you need, you know, and, and, and the word that I would share with her, it, which is a word that means a lot more to me now is it's about liberation. Mm your own personal liberation in this because once you can figure that out for yourself and you know and as a person who wants to have an impact on others then it's easier to help others get to their liberation yeah yeah so i had two questions but i i, I think just ending there <laughs> maybe <laughs> I don't think I can follow up with another question. Just this word liberation. I'm going to write that down and <laughs> look at it every single day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I continue right. to think about my path and you know clarifying my vision. Um, yep. So Kelly, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. This has been so great hearing your story. Um, so informative. I think our audience will uh, will get a lot of nuggets uh, about your journey that can, I think, help them as they think about um, career reinvention and transitioning and the things that they need to keep top of mind. Um, you know, here's to another 10, 20, 30 years of friendship. 
That's right. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. And I can't wait to uh, be back on the East Coast to hang out uh, when yes. things are a, a little bit uh, calmer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And thank you for having me. And Lois, I am just I was excited to be here. It's great doing this. And I'm so proud of you for launching you. this. You, I think you have an important voice when it comes to leadership. And so um, you can always ask me back. I'll come back. Oh, I will. You know, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I have a list of people. I'm like, y'all know y'all getting asked to do this podcast, right? <laughs> That's the beauty of friendship. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Thank girl. you though, so much. Thanks. Thanks for joining me this week on Lead with Lois. Make sure to visit my website, www.loisjeffers.com, where you can listen to past Lead with Lois episodes and learn more about my executive coaching programs. You can also keep up with me on Instagram by following at Lead with Lois. Join me next week for all things leadership and remember to look and lead inward.